So if you're a clergy person and you're doing a funeral, when you go to the graveside, you tend to ride in the hearse, in the front of the hearse, with the funeral director. Um, and so you're, you're, ride, you're in the passenger seat and the funeral director um, generally drives to the, so you're leading kind of the funeral procession, which is a big thing here in, um, in the U.S. And the stories that funeral directors will tell you <laughs> while you're in that car are absolutely amazing. Um, I had a funeral director in Texas, of course it was Texas, tell me a story about a time that they... Um, they had a fellow in a casket. They were having a viewing. And this kind of cowboy-looking dude walked in with his 10-gallon hat and his big old cowboy boots. And he pulled out a six-shooter. And he shot the casket six times. What? Turned around and said, just want to make sure he was dead. <laughs> and walked out. Your lifelong passions, dreams, and aspirations, your joys and creative spurs, your femininity, your success, all in one place. This is Girl Skill with your host, Anna Rova. Hello, hello, and welcome to Girl Skill Podcast, where twice a week we're having an insightful conversation with an amazing woman about her life story, her version of success, and her femininity, so we can all learn from the lessons she's learned along the way and apply into our own lives too. I feel like um, a couple more episodes and I'm going to know this by heart, no matter whenever you wake me up, I'm just going to be able to say it with no interruption. <laughs> Hi everyone, Anna here, and so glad to have you on this episode number 27 of Girl Skill Podcast. Uh, super excited to be sharing this episode today with you because this uh, turned out to be one of my favorite episodes actually and surprisingly so simply because before I got on the call with my guest I was a little bit disappointed and awkward and a bit like oh I don't know how this interview will go you know like mm, not sure if this guest is the best guest uh, but then at the, at the end I had an amazing conversation with Josephine Robertson but before I tell you about her let me just remind you that February is our sex sacred sexuality naked yoga and yoni month and much much more which means that instead of you know feeling Feeling a bit sad if you don't have a partner um, uh, and you know going through all that Valentine's Day crap and stuff like that you can actually listen and binge on these episodes and I have some amazing guests that are going to talk about um, you know sacred sexuality sex naked yoga yoni massage yoni like pleasure wands and all of that and I and I also become very vulnerable in sharing my experience with some sexual trauma and all of that so I'm super excited stay tuned tuned it's gonna drop sometime beginning of February also quick reminder that uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the introductory episode for this podcast please do so it's introductory episode zero zero if you scroll down and, and just find this episode uh, this is basically me talking about what is girl skill what are we doing here why are we running with the wolves why why the wolf is uh, the main theme of this subject and so on I, I think you'll find it interesting and for those of you who don't know I actually had an amazing podcast interview 
uh, with Amanda Cook of Wallpreneur, where I was a guest on her own show. And Amanda has released almost 200 episodes on her Wellpreneur pro- podcast that is mainly for Wellpreneurs, so basically entrepreneurs in the wellness industry. And she interviews some of the top experts in the wellness industry, including JJ Virgin, actually, which is, you know, one of the top women in the um, wellness industry. So that was amazing and such an honor to get on her show. So we talked about, you know, why I quit online marketing and found my true calling in girl skill and about my other podcast and how I quit that too. Um, for those of you who don't know, I had another podcast called Men Inside Show, where I was interviewing men about women in relationships. So that was really interesting. So highly recommend you check it out. It's Wellpreneur, like well, W-E-L-L and then Preneur. Uh, and then I'm on episode 185. Highly recommend to listen. And I also, by the way, share um, quite a bit about Medium and my writing experience on the Medium platform. And um, as some of you know, I was a top writer in three different categories at some point in love relationships and travel. I hope to get back back on Medium starting next week, actually. So yeah, that's it. That's all the updates for me today. Now let's get back to the episode. Uh, So Josephine Robertson, as I said, was a bit of a weird guest. I was like, oh, I don't know. what. I mean, she has a website and a personal girl stuff. I was like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. But it turned out to be an amazing conversation. Oh, my gosh. So Josephine is an Episcopal priest. And for those of you who don't know what is Episcopal priest, like I I didn't. It's basically she's a priest of a very liberal, open-minded church in the United States that basically allows same-sex marriage, uh, gay and transgender people, um, you know, are welcome member of the, this religious group. And then you have women um, who have equal opportunities to, um, you know, reaching all orders of the ministry. So you have female priests and all of that. And so it's a very liberal liberal church. And <laughs> I love how Joe, Joe says that if you put 10 Episcopalians in the room and ask them a question, you'll get 15 answers back, which I found really cool. So we basically talk about all of that, her journey into priesthood, um, a very interesting story, um, you know, what is, uh, how does she deal with all the, with all basically the responsibility of being a priest, which is actually um, a huge responsibility, how she cools it off by spending time with her horse, uh, some of the funniest and scariest moments and saddest moments in her religious leader uh, role, which was so funny, one of them you heard in the beginning of this episode, and also just talk about, um, and, you know, also the, the anti-resolutions because she runs a spirituality blog, which is very, very cool, uh, high value information and how she has this whole formula of how we all can start uh, putting together resolutions that are um, not based on guilt, shame or anger. And also shares with us a tool that she uses daily to prioritize things that really matter and how she says, you know, this makes her, this makes sure that she can cancel whatever doesn't make her happy in that month. So I highly recommend you listen to the end of this episode because uh, Josephine also shares with us two apps that will help you uh, become a better writer and a photographer, two authentically hilarious bloggers that she follows online religiously um, that keep your uh, sanity intact, and actually two fantasy books that uh, will take you into the unknown world and make you get curious about life and question your own values and beliefs. I have bought already one of the book, I'm reading it and I'm loving it. So yeah, enjoy this episode and I'll see you at the end. Girl Skill, female success redefined. So today on Girl Skill Podcast, we have Joe Robertson all the way from Seattle. Hi, Joe. How are you? Welcome to Girl Skill. Hi, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk today about 
anti-resolutions for the new year. And I know you have a really cool uh, system and kind of a philosophy on how to go about it. Um, but before we go into all of that good stuff, let's get into our Blitz questions. So, okay. Joe, what is a book that you plan on reading? Oh, that I plan on reading. I have a stack about 200 high. Um, so the, um, the most recent Brene Brown book, I have not read that yet. And that's top of my list. I think uh, Brene Brown should come on this show just because so many women have uh, recommended her books. <laughs> I would so love I, to hear you interview her. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, what is your superpower? Oh, organization. <laughs> okay. What is the one thing that you cannot live without? <sighs> Probably chocolate. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what is the best gift that you've ever received? Um, I would have to say that would be my horse. You have a horse? My, yes, that my husband uh, basically said, go, you know, go buy her. Um, that was pretty awesome. Go buy a horse, Joe. That is amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know even how, like, this is so foreign to me. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I haven't lived on a farm of that. I, I guess, do you live on a farm? Yeah. I don't live on a farm. Um, oh, okay. I, I am not nearly that dedicated to getting up at 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> right, so right. I, I board my horse at a farm where they take care of all of that, um, uh -huh. which makes life much easier for me. Okay. Okay, cool. And uh, what is the best gift that you've ever given? Oh, I would have to say that that would be the puppy that my husband is getting on January 20th. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so when I sent him the picture the day he that uh, the puppy's name is Basil, um, and when I sent my husband the picture the day he was born, I think he turned five again. <laughs> he was so excited. Oh my god! Awesome, love it. I love how the best gifts you've ever given and received are animals, which is uh, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, for everyone listening, uh, there's a cat, so it's it's Christmas. It's before Christmas. We're recording, and Joe in the background has this cat who just wants to be in the camera, and it's uh, it's pretty adorable. Um, okay, let's let's move on, Joe. Uh, who is your girl crush? Oh, my girl crush, probably Michelle Obama. Ah, okay. Love that. Awesome. What is your biggest fear? Oh, my biggest fear is probably um, the death of people I love. Mm, okay. Yeah. What is, what is the uh, best part about being a woman? The best part of being a woman um, is the way we get to express ourselves that I don't think men get, um, you know, the way we get to express ourselves with our clothing and, and the way we paint ourselves and um, the kind of friendships we have. I think everything about being a woman is pretty awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, let me ask you next, qu next question. What do you think is the worst part about being a woman? Um, I would have to say the worst part about being a woman is being mansplained. Um, which and that is exactly can, can you explain that so so mansplaining is a is a big thing in the u.s right now where essentially some guy um explains something to you that you already understand and that you probably just told him um but he you know he'll say well actually 
Um, and then, and then he will illuminate for you, um, the thing you're an expert on. Um, and I have had that happen so many times and it's just frustrating. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think I know what you mean, although I don't have interactions like this too much. Uh, I've just pu- published um, a Medium post. I don't know if you've seen it, mm-hmm. but it's been a pretty controversial uh, post. So I'm still kind of recovering from it. Uh, it's basically called, you know, I've been hurt too, sister, let's move on. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, well, anyways, I just, I just remembered it and then the way you've, um, You've told me that. Yeah, just brought up some memories. Anyways, uh, my last question about the Blitz um, uh, in Blitz section is uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about life right now and why? I would say I'm probably at a 10, assuming that 10 is on the good end. Um, <laughs> because there is just, there's so much good happening right now. Um, in my personal life, I've got great stuff coming up in 2018. Uh, I have all of these awesome collaborations I'm working on um, for Crazy Whole Life that just have me really excited because I love working with people um, whose stuff gets me excited. Um, So there's just so much potential right now that it's a really exciting time. Cool. Awesome. Love it. So, uh, Joe, can you please introduce yourself to everyone? Tell us what you do, who you are, where you come from. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I am Josephine Robertson. Um, my friends just call me Joe, so that's what I prefer to go by. Uh, crazy, uh, the character in Little Women um, named Joe was one of my favorites growing up, so I kind of love that I share that name with her. Um, I am an Episcopal priest. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar with what that means, um, the Episcopal Church is descended from the Church of England, and we're a fairly progressive, um, open-minded sort of uh, Christian church that operates in the United States and um, kind of all over the world. Uh, I'm in Seattle, which is an open-minded kind of place, um, and spend my time... Um, doing a crazy assortment of things from, you know, uh, meeting with families in the hospital to planning weddings to a lot, a lot of meetings. Um, And Crazy Whole Life grew out of my passion for spirituality, for a wholeness in our lives. We tend to uh, either hyper focus on our bodies and not spend really any attention on our spirits or our souls or that spark, whatever you want to call it, um, that makes us different. Um, or we hyper focus on that and say, that's the good thing. And our bad bodies are, are bad and evil and we've got to punish them and like work them into shape and all these things. Um, and I find the healthy thing is in the middle where we acknowledge and, and love and care for kind of both sides of ourselves. And so uh, Crazy Whole Life grew out of the desire to help people who might not either have a spiritual tradition or a religious background, but who are looking for something more in life than just, you know, getting up and going to work and buying stuff. Um, looking for some more meaning than just kind of that being consumers. You know, it feels like in this digital age, we're all turning into consumers of something. Um, and so really reincorporating a wholeness in our lives. That's And when you I mean, say crazy whole passion. life, crazy um, whole life is your blog, right? 
Yeah, that you started. It is. So Crazy Whole Life is, is yep, the blog. I started it in February of last year. Um, and it's meant to kind of be a clearinghouse of resources for everything from like, how do you figure out what your values actually are to how do you start a spiritual practice when you're really crappy at like sitting still and meditating? I can't sit still to save my life. Um, and so just kind of a clearinghouse of all that sort of thing to help you build a really whole and intentional um, life for yourself. Okay. You said something that I find fascinating. You're an Episcopal, gosh, how do I say this word? Um, (laughs) Episcopal? Episcopal priest um, who is basically running her own uh, spiritual or personal growth blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not religious in, in that sense, uh, which I find fascinating. So let's talk about that a little bit before we jump into the yeah. anti-resolutions because I know you have a whole blog post and you have a checklist and how to basically um, keep people on track uh, with the new year. And mm-hmm. this is this for everyone listening. Um, jo is here, our guest, to share her wisdom and knowledge and help us all make the best out of our 2018. And even if you're listening... Um, at some point later, this will still be very useful for you, I believe. Um, yes, so, Joe, before we get into all that, let me ask you two questions that I ask all women on the show. And the first mm-hmm. one being, um, do you consider yourself successful and why? So, I love this question. I've listened to so many people on your show answer this question. <laughs> um, and I think I have maybe a slightly different take on it. Um, so, for me, success is not a destination. Um, success to me means I'm moving in the right direction. Um, There's a great quote by Frederick Buechner that says, uh, you know, your calling is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Um, And for me, success is where I am living into my deep gladness and I'm actually fulfilling um, a hunger that is out there in the world. And, and as long as I'm doing that, I'm successful. Um, and when I fall off of that for whatever reason, um, then I'm not. And so it's this journey of constantly trying to find that center um, that I kind of define as success. Mm, I really like that, where deep gladness meets deep hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, really like that. Awesome. You, 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 I feel like this, this interview is going to be so, so wise. Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, but, but it, 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 you know, in the sense like you're, you're a priest in a way that you're always, well, you know, I've lived in the U.S. for a little bit when I was an exchange mm-hmm. student, I was in Virginia and I went to this church which for me was the most progressive thing that I've ever seen. Um, I think it was the Baptist Protestant um, something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but for me it was such a huge change, right? Like I'm coming from Eastern Europe where you have all of these like Orthodox churches and everything, just seeing like, uh, you know, people just gathering and laughing and, uh, you know, it's like a community and like there, there was a, a religious band on, on, on stage playing rock music. I was just sitting there and I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> what is this thing? And, 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 you know, I've, I got exposed to a couple of priests that, and I feel like 
well, from what I know, right, because I've, 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 I've seen that happening, you are pretty much an inspirational, where well, you're a leader of the community, right? You're an inspirational leader, motivational, you're translating messages, you're answering questions, you said you go to hospitals, you go to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, weddings, meetings, like people look up to you as their spiritual leader. So I feel like every single question I'm going to have for you today is going to be like... <laughs> full of divine wisdom, so to say, <laughs> full of some of the experiences. But before we get into that, um, let me just ask you the second question real quick. Uh, what is femininity for you, Joe? So femininity for me, I, I had to think about this one for quite a while. Um, and it's something I think that's really evolving for me. I came out of a much more maybe traditional spiritual background, and I have been really growing um, over the past few years. And I think I'm to the place where for me, femininity, femininity <laughs> is creative power. Um, it's the part of us that can bring something out of absolutely nothing. Um, and for me, that means it's the part of us that most looks like um, whatever you want to call a higher power, the divine um, God, goddess, um, you know, mystery, the universe, the, the place we're closest to that is is our femininity it's our it's our creativity and our imagination um and i think that's something that men can tap into as well but i think it's something that as women we are closer to and um maybe access more easily than um than men can yeah I, I I mean I can understand that completely. Um, but I'm not here, you know, to interpret <laughs> whatever yeah. you're saying, but your version of femininity is whatever it is 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 great. All right, Joe. So uh, for everyone listening, they're like, okay, come on on, I'll let her talk and tell her her story. Um <laughs> tell us, uh, how did you come to be a, a priest, an episcopal priest, and then start this blog? Well, so I am I am stubborn. I'm a very stubborn sort of person. Um, I actually, uh, I had a really transformative experience when I was in college. I'd come out of a very conservative background where I didn't think women could be religious leaders. Um, I didn't think that was, that was okay. Uh, and I um, ended up at this, at this um, cathedral where the uh, woman who was presiding was a woman. The priest who was presiding was a woman. Um, and I had this mystical experience where I literally felt my heart break. Um, it's like it broke open and there was a whole other heart inside um, and realized that that was what I was called to do. Um, but like I said, I'm stubborn. So I spent 10 years um, doing software engineering because that was a good job and I'd been raised to do a good practical job and make money and all that kind of stuff. And I was totally miserable. <laughs> ten Complete. years of software. In- ten years in software engineering. That is insane. I, I mean, I was I was so miserable. I was spending all of my off time writing theological poetry and, and oh my you know, god, you know. And so finally, I had this wonderful woman clergy person um, mentor who said to me, "When the hell are you going to seminary?" Um, <laughs> she said, "I'm not taking no for an answer anymore. I'm just what, sending." What is, what is seminary? 
Um, so seminary is the graduate program that in, at least in my tradition, you have to go and get a master's degree to be ordained. Um, and so seminary is basically, it's just a, a very specialized college um, that does, what does education. What does ordained mean? So ordained um, in the Episcopal Church um, is the... Uh, it's the, the church acknowledging what God has already done, done in you. Um, so the church acknowledging that you have a certain, um, certain gifts and talents and a certain calling, um, and you have to be ordained before you can start taking on roles in the church as a priest, before you can become a priest. That's what makes you a priest. Um, and so the church the church performs that ordination and the belief is that the spirit of God moves and you are changed. You're ordained. Um, and it's very, uh, it's very mystical. And is it like a procedure? Like, a, a yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, it's like having a wedding. Um, it's wow. a, it's a religious, um, ceremony. It's a, um, it's a sacrament in our church. Um, and so, it's it's a big deal. I mean, it, it really planning an ordination is kind of like planning a wedding, <laughs> <laughs> a wedding that you have to go get a master's degree before you could get. Oh wow, um, wow! So let me ask you about this moment. So you said once you went, you went to the church and you saw a religious uh, female leader, and you were so inspired, and you were you, your heart open, well broken that open. Yeah. Um, but then you spend the next ten years. Well, not the next. I'm, I'm assuming you saw this in between. Um, and then when a woman asks you, like, okay, when are you going to do this? What was the moment where you really decided to, to go for it? And, and I, I'm curious in the emotions of it and whether you were scared or not. I was terrified. <laughs> it, we, I, I was many things. I was incredibly relieved, you know, in the moment when I finally said, yes, I'm going to do this. Um, I was, it was this huge relief because it's something that I had, I think, known I needed to do and I'd been so miserable and so it was excited. But at the same time, I was terrified. I was quitting this really good job with good money and good benefits um, and I was going to move across the country all by myself to a state I'd never lived in, go back to school after 10 years. I mean, talk about that's, that's intimidating um, to get a master's degree, um, which I had no idea what would be involved with that. It's a lot. Um, and so it was absolutely terrifying, but um, for me, I don't know that it was really one moment. It was all of these little moments. It was all of the moments when I was doing something else and was miserable. Um, and all the moments where I was doing something as close as I could get to being a priest. Um, you know, I was visiting people, you know, as a before I was ordained, I was visiting people in the hospital. Um, I was spending time with them. I was, um, going on retreats at monasteries and I mean just all of these things and it felt right when I was doing those things um and can you tell me I I'm trying to understand the motivation mm -hmm. because you know there's very few people walking out there and are like yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna be a priest you know like, <laughs> that, that thought never crossed my mind I can I can see myself as being you know like a a leader of some sorts, a motivational speaker. Um, yeah. What was it? What was it for you? I'm uh, yeah. I'm trying to understand the motivation of it. 
Well, you certainly don't do it for the money, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, the motivation was, um, I think I'd have to go back to, I've got a friend who's a rabbi who says basically what she does, and I think it's what I do, is she gets paid to be a religious nerd <laughs> because most people don't have time to essentially be an expert in spirituality and religion. I mean, there's just too much going on in your life. Um, and so for me, the idea that I could dedicate my life to helping people deepen their spirituality, um, deal with loss or grief or learn how to sanctify the happy moments and the sad moments that, that I could be that kind of resource for a community. Um, that was a huge draw for me. Um, that's what felt right is, is that kind of like, I could, I could help people find the same kind of joy that I'm finding when I do these things. And you are already and, pretty religious uh, with your background and everything. So I, I guess it's, it's the same thing as, you know, cause I, I feel called to, well, not, not, not the same things, but a lot of, a lot of us are called to help and yeah. be leaders and all that. But I'm assuming you had a re strong religious background and for you being a priest was just such a natural kind of manifestation of your calling. Yeah, I mean, calling. We all have a calling. Every one of us has a place where our that you know, like that Frederick Beekner quote, where our deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. And mine just happens to have to do with helping people connect to the divine. Um, I'm just one of those weird, odd people who is total religion geek, um, and who loves that. Who loves that kind of stuff. Um, so. Okay. Yeah, it's not it's not for everybody, but that's totally where that's where my um, yeah. real passion was. And where where do you stand? So you you've done this master's degree, you have mm -hmm. been ordained, and uh, where would you uh, wh where you go next? Like, what did you do next? Did you stay in that community? Did you move to York? Like, because I'm assuming once you do that, you're like, okay, I'm a priest now. Where do I where do I preach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well. So in, in my tradition, um, we have bishops who are in charge of a whole bunch of priests, essentially. Um, and the bishop definitely has a lot of say over what you can do and where you go and that kind of thing. Um, and so I was in Texas. I went to a, a seminary in Austin, the Seminary of the Southwest. And that's in the Diocese of Texas, which is the regional body of the Episcopal Church in Texas. And... Um, so I was there and I, I met with them and they were able to help me find a church that needed, um, that needed a, a priest um, and that ha already had a priest there. So there was an experienced person that I could kind of learn from and I could, I could play and make mistakes and that was okay. And so that was, um, that was a great match for me. Um, first little church in, uh, in Austin, Texas. Yeah, awesome. And how did you end up in Seattle? So we moved to Seattle because um, my husband is still in the computer world. Um, he came, he's been so in that husband, world for okay, years. So let, let me ask you, you've yes. been married to, to your husband before you pursued the master's degree or how? No, no. So I was single when I moved to Texas and in between, so the master's degree program I did is a three-year program. And in between my second and third year, I decided that, um, 
I had been working for a very long time and I was going to take the summer off and have fun because it was in Austin, Texas. It's just about the most fun city in the world. There's free music everywhere and incredible food. And it's just, it's an awesome place. And so I signed up for one of those online dating services because I figured (laughs) some guy can take me out. And <laughs> online dating. Oh my God, this is phenomenal. Yeah. And I paid for the service in order to be able to message with this really cute guy and ended up marrying him nine months later. <laughs> Holy moly. Wow. That's yeah. So, story. so that, so I ended up staying in Texas cause I met a Texas boy and married him. Um, had this lovely whirlwind uh, courtship and just, it's been a ton of fun ever since. Um, and but that he was got, how many years ago? That, it will be seven years in May. Wow. Yeah. So he got a job offer from Google. You can't be online without knowing about them mm-hmm. um, up here in um, Seattle. And so we moved up here uh, about three and a half years ago for his um, work. And so that gave me a lot of freedom. I went from working full-time to part-time. And so that gave me a lot of freedom to start thinking, okay, if I'm still a, you know, a spirituality nerd who really wants to help people connect with you know, the divine and their own you know, divine image and their own spirituality, how can I do that? And here I am in Seattle where tons of people are spiritual but not religious um, and where everything is digital. And so it was this really natural outgrowth to think, well, what about a website? Um, That would make sense. (laughs) Yeah. And this is how your crazy whole life um, blog started. So I I have a quick question because what you mentioned, I think is super, super interesting. And, and, you know, like I've, I've worked in, in personal growth for a while as a marketer and there was this whole headline of like, uh, you don't have like spirituality versus religion. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And you mention these two things in the same kind of realm and so how would you describe that in your own way and like my husband is so there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy with religion in general right yeah yeah and you know, I'm not here to discuss it. I'm not here to like debate or whatever. But there's a lot of controversy. There's also a lot of debates going on, all that stuff. So how do you see it? Like, how would you explain it to yourself? And I'm guessing that you said, oh, there's a lot of spiritual, but not religion, uh, religious people. How would you describe the differences? But also, how do you combine the two? So, um, you know, religion, just the basic definition of the term is it's a a codified set of beliefs and practices that are shared by a group of people. I mean, that you just get to the very basic. Um, Anytime you have a group of people who've decided this is what we believe and this is how we act, you've basically got a religious group. Um, And spirituality just changes that a little bit in that and it's, I think in some ways it's very American in that it's very individualistic. Um, it's very much, this is what I believe and this is what I do. And that may be completely different than everybody else around me. And to some extent, the, the word religion has become synonymous with something that is oppressive mm-hmm. or constricting, but that's not required in any way you know to be to be part of a religious group does not mean you have to be part of a group that is constricting um 
And so when I put the two together, what I'm trying to do is take the best of both worlds. Because there is something about when you're in a religious community, you're in a group of people that can help you and support you. Um, so one of the things we talk about is that when, um, you know, we all, have, we all have bad days, right? We all have days where it's like, I just can't, I can't meditate today. I can't pray today. I just feel like crap. Um, I don't know that I believe anything. And when you're in a community, the community can say, well, that's okay. We'll carry you along with us. And when we're having a bad day, you'll carry us along with you. Um, and so that's the advantage of having a community. And of course, with the spirituality side, the advantage is you can, you're, you're not bound by, by tradition in the same way you are in a religious group. You can move and change more quickly. And here we are in the 21st century where everything changes, you know, split second. I mean, your computer is out of date before you've bought it. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, my hope is to try to bring the best of those things, to say, look, there are all these ways of being human and of experiencing mystery and holiness and awe and we can also be generous with each other and support one another and carry one another. Um, and I've seen that happen uh, in, in communities that aren't in any way supposed to be religious. Um, you know, one of the things you had asked me to do is look at, uh, you know, people I love to follow and read. And obviously, we'll talk about that more later. But the community that's been built up around the Blogus's website um, that is essentially religion in its best form. If you watch what happens in the comments section of that website, it's incredible. What's the website again? So it's called The Blogus. Mm -hmm. um, it's run by Jenny Lawson. Um, she is an author here in the United States. And she's absolutely hilarious. She talks about mental health and um, just whatever is happening in her life, taxidermy. I mean, it's just, it's weird and kooky and crazy and wonderful. Um, but the, the supportive community that has built up around her website is kind of the ideal, right? It's what we're all looking for. Those people that when you're having a bad day are like, no, you're going to get through this and we're going to help you do it. Um, yeah, I can see, you know, I, I can see. That's why for me, you know, because I've seen it. So I've actually lived in the U.S. for a year in, in a family that was going to, to church, so to say. Mm -hmm. But for everyone listening outside of the U.S., maybe like ch church there is not the same as church in Eastern Europe or like Russia or, you know, it's yeah. very laid back. And people actually like sing and dance. And it's something that I described earlier, which to me was so bizarre in the beginning. But what you're saying is. I like I've seen it happen and I know exactly what you mean. And maybe to be honest with you, this is what we need more of these days. And I'm not proclaiming, you know, okay, let's all be religious or whatever. But I, I see what you mean in that sense, because I, you know, I look at like, I, I believe I'm not religious, um, but I am spiritual. I believe in the mm -hmm. universe and I believe that there's something greater than us. Uh, I'm not necessarily part of the group. I'm not, you know, following any codes or whatever. But I've also listened to a couple of interviews where older women, it was very interesting, you know, women in their 60s coming to pray, coming mm -hmm. to 
being becoming religious. So obviously there is a power in it, but I know exactly what you mean when you when you have a community. So I think the community part that you're stressing about, because spirituality can be a very lonely journey, right? Like yeah. as you said, there's no you know, there's no leader, so to say. But if, if I'm part of a religious group, like if I'm part of a church, I can I, I know that I can always come and there will be people to support me and there will right. be people to answer my questions. And like if there's a death in the family or anything like that, and you know, a lot of the U.S. is very communal like that. And to be honest with you, I miss it today. Well, that's because I travel so much. But I, I completely understand what you mean. And I see how that's why, like, we always um, debate with my husband. He's very mm-hmm. anti-religious. He sees the what you said, you know, the oppressiveness and the con- constrict, um, was it the constrictiveness of it. But I'm like, but I'm saying, and you know, we joke about it. But I'm saying, hey, if it works for them, like, what's the big right. deal? You know, if people have something to believe in hold each other's hands and that's what's really helping them move through life because life can be really difficult and not all of us can do the, can take the spiritual path right so some of us need a bit more um how do you say uh, a bit more rules so to say a bit for more boundaries structure. yeah a bit more structure yeah and and if it works for them then that's great because i live in a family for a year and i've seen that and they were deeply deeply religious um so joe tell us a little bit so a little bit of background you said that episcopal church is different in the sense that it's kind of more open mind i mean you talk about spirituality and you talk about meditation in your blog you mention other religions as well which mm-hmm. is to me is like a bit um um, in itself, a bit co- controversial because you know what I mean. So, what is the what is the main difference um, in your church? And if you could also describe a regular day of a priest, that would be really interesting. And I know that you're super busy now because we're recording just before Christmas, so you must be like running around supporting people in their Christmas holidays. Yeah. So, so uh, the joke about the Episcopal Church is that if you put 10 Episcopalians in a room and you ask them a question, you'll get 15 answers back. (laughs) Um, So we're, we're kind, we're very American in that we are this big melting pot. You know, there are people kind of all parts of the spectrum that you could imagine. Um, You can probably find someone like that in an Episcopal church. Um, And we're all trying to figure out, despite the fact that we completely disagree with each other on almost everything, (laughs) to be honest, how do we live together? How do we love each other? How do we take care of each other? Um, You know, I had a parishioner once who was really, really afraid that I was going to hate him because I am you know, super liberal in the, in, the, uh, in the American kind of political spectrum. And he was super conservative. And um, I said to him, dude, <laughs> my father is way more conservative than you can ever be. And I love him. Um, and so I think that's the, it's the, it's what we strive for. I'm not saying we always manage it. But what we strive for is no matter who we are and who the other people in our community are, um, that we are treating each other in a loving way. And sometimes that's really difficult when you're disagreeing with things like, you know, um, uh, same-sex marriage has been 
huge in the United States. And when you have folks in your parish who want to get married and you have other folks who are saying, no, I really think that's wrong. How as a community do you navigate that? And also you being a priest and there is a church like Mm -hmm. the religion. Well, I don't know, but the religion doesn't allow it by default unless well, does your does your church? Our stuff, allow? we do, we do. Oh wow! Um, so we we have a we have a, a rite that was approved for use a number of years ago, and so yes, we have same sex marriage. Um, Christianity is very diverse in that there are Christian traditions that allow same sex marriage, and there are Christian traditions that don't. Um, Jesus himself said absolutely nothing about sex, so. You know, there's a whole it's lot open of to interpretation. Yeah. I just really interrupt you for, for, for a second and say, you know, at some point I've, and, and I think you'd agree with me that today, like I, you know, there's so much ang- anger. Mm-hmm. And there's so much hatred. Um, yeah. And gosh, I, I mean, this is a sensitive topic for me, but at times I just sit there and I, you know, it's really emotional for me because I'm like, why can't we exactly what you said? It's like, yeah, you're of a different opinion of a different race of a different color, but you're a human. And I, mm-hmm. I believe that most of us have good intentions, whether, yeah. you know, even if, if, you know, if you look at people who do bad things at the end of the day, there's a truth there that feels mm-hmm. true for them. And that's why they act in the way they act. But sometimes I see, and you know, I hear there's so many people, and especially in the digital media, as you said, right? There's, it's just a ch- an open channel. It's mm-hmm. unrestricted, which is great. But at the same time, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe you should keep your <laughs> anger to yourself and not, you know, like poison all of us with it and stuff. And I just sit there and I'm like, Gosh, we live in, and especially if you if you watch the news all the time, which I don't, and I don't scroll Facebook and I don't watch the news anymore because I just don't want to be exposed to all of that crap. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. I'm I'm in charge of my own life. I'm building my own reality, no matter what everybody can. You know, some people say, "Oh my God, Anna, you live in a made up world," and I'm like, "Well, that's a world that I choose to live in, and that's uh, I feel good. I'm surrounded by people who love me, and I'm supported, and I support others." But, oh man, like, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe maybe people should join more religious groups like yours so that <laughs> we can sit together, you know? And, ha- like, even I'm posting some controversial posts in Medium, and I've had some really bad, like, people start judging me, ex- accusing me, calling me names, just because I said something that is not according to their own values. And I don't know yeah. what happened to open dialogue, open debate. And if you don't agree with me in certain, and, you know, religion and politics, and there's one other yeah. thing that nobody ever talks about. But right. I think it's so important that you, you know, you have this, this thing where you trying to figure, like, how do, how do we live together? You know, mm-hmm. the, the, I, don't, I don't know if, if the point is really to persuade someone to agree with me. Like, what, what is that going to give me? That really doesn't matter. Yeah, that it's more it's more about being able to to interact um, without hurting each other, without harming each other. And I think a lot of the anger and the hatred that we see right now comes from deep fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is changing really rapidly, and there is so much uncertainty yeah. that I think there's a lot of fear out there. And um, you know, 
Yoda is one of my favorite spiritual teachers. Um, and you know, what did Yoda say? Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hatred. Hatred leads to the dark side. Um, and he's not wrong. I mean, if you look at, at, uh, you look at the teachings of Jesus, you look at Buddhism, you look at just about anything out there, there is that, that connection to when we're afraid, we stop thinking and we go back to that lizard brain. And it's all about survival. And the, the best example I have is there was someone very close to me who was um, actually left the Episcopal Church when we um, allowed the ordination of um, gay and lesbian mm -hmm. priests um, and was very angry and I think very hurt and um, just all, everything that's kind of going on and that you're used to seeing in the news. And then um, this person is very dear to me and so was invited to my wedding. And the organist at um, at our wedding is a was a dear dear friend of ours um, who happens to be who happens to be gay. He's married to an incredible man. They're they're decidedly one of our goal couples. You know those couples that you want to be like them when you quote grow up. Um, and so this this person from my life met Brian and Derek, and suddenly it wasn't an issue. It was Brian and Derek. It was two people who had faces and who loved me and were kind and generous. And it changed everything because suddenly it wasn't an issue anymore. It was people who were real people. That, and, and it's really hard to hate a real flesh and blood person mm. that you've met and you've eaten food with and you've talked to. And maybe that's one of the things that the internet has made difficult for us is because we can now interact with people in such a... Like a faceless way. Yeah, in such a faceless way that we don't see them as people. They just become these boogeymen out there. And so, and so the fear just gets bigger instead of getting less because we've met someone who says, hey, actually, I'm not evil. I'm just trying to get by. You know, one of my favorite Brene Brown quotes, I think she got it from her husband actually, was just that, you know, the majority of people out there are doing the best they can yeah. with what they have with right now. With the resources now. available. Yeah. 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 I, so. I mean, that, that is so, that is such a transformational concept, you know, and I, I've actually had, a, I don't want to say I had a problem with the with, with gay relationships and everything, but I come from Eastern European country, which is yeah. heavily communist. My, my father is, is an atheist and a communist, and he still doesn't approve it, understand. And when I, I just came up from, from a society that condemns it, it yeah. doesn't understand it. It fears it because it mm -hmm. doesn't understand it. I don't even want to call it. But I had a similar experience where I was in Malaysia and there was a guy, he was a Ukrainian guy, and he was gay. I knew he was gay. And I tried to avoid him many, many times. Like, it was weird. And then we just sat down one day. And I, I also, on my previous podcast, I interviewed a gay man. Um, and I just asked him questions, you know. And then I sat down with this guy, the Ukrainian guy. We just talked. And we laughed our asses off. And we had such yeah. a time. And the fact that I could open it, he was like, yeah, ask me. Well, what do you want to know? And I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, he's like, I don't care. Ask me. And I just had such a great conversation with him. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the most transformational experiences I had. And 
You know, it's I've I've just interviewed. So next week after we talk, uh, I had an interview with a transgender woman who, mm-hmm. um, you know, went from male to female. And if you asked me about five years ago, I would have never. I I would say I would have never done it. Like I can't. Like this is impossible for me to talk about this. But I had such a great conversation. Yeah. And I think that stories like this, when you really get down to what you said, flesh to flesh, when we sit down and she really told me the story, like how mm-hmm. she felt misunderstood and everything, you create a human connection that you could, we all can relate, right? To sadness, yeah. to misunderstanding yeah. and to being frustrated, to not accepting, not being accepted by others. And so many of us who are not gay or not transgender still feel that and can't get through through life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I found it very interesting. Um, Joe, we can talk about all these things forever, right? <laughs> that's what happens when you get a pre- like new age, I suppose, priest on the podcast. <laughs> and you talk about all of it. Um, so let's, let's finalize because I, I, I think you started answering my question. But what is the main difference between ep- Episcopal Church and towards others? Because you said Christianity can have so many shades. But from what I understand, it's very open-minded. And basically, there are no rules? Or how does it work? Well, it, it's not that there aren't rules. We don't have official doctrine. What's important for us is the history of the way we worship. So we have a thing called the prayer, the uh, Book of Common Prayer that we got you know, handed down from the um, English church and that we have, you know, edited and, um, and basically all Episcopal churches use that for their worship on Sunday morning. And um, I think many so people would find it. No, I mean, we, we, we read the Bible, but the shape of the worship itself and we have communion. So we break bread um, every week together the shape of that worship comes out of the Book of Common Prayer. So you can walk into any Episcopal church anywhere in the world, and you'll have this familiar structure. And the whole idea is that that structure carries you. So more charismatic worship, like you experienced when you visited um, the United States, is really, it's very much based on um, that kind of emotional uh, response. But what if you're having a day where you don't have that emotional response, um, where you're just you're just kind of getting through life? Um, and so the idea of the prayer book is that because we use this, um, and it's very poetic and very lyrical and very mystical, because we use this this structure so reliably, it actually shapes who we are. And I love that neuroscience is now. Um, saying, hey, those ancient people who did this, they actually knew what they were doing. Because when you do something over and over again, it actually changes the shape of your brain. Um, And so we essentially are forming ourselves by praying in this set and common way um, on a regular basis. So it kind of, it builds up your spiritual life. It builds up your, your, um, your beliefs and your prayers and just your ability to do those things because you're practicing. So it's like, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, um, you have practice runs, right? Over and over and over and over again um, before you actually run the marathon. Um, And so the kind of what we do on Sunday morning, the whole idea is that then shapes us to go out into the world and be the kind of people um, who we're supposed to be, you know, folks who can 
who come together with all these differences, folks who sit down and eat together. So we have communion, you know, around the altar every, every week, folks who, who listen, uh, <clears throat> folks who learn together, folks who sing together, who rejoice together, who mourn together. Um, and so that's, that's, I think the big difference with the Episcopal church is that that's our focus is so that it's, it's um, pretty much, it's pretty much a meetup. Like I would go to a digital nomad meetup up every week a group of people who share my beliefs so to say about certain things we're all different but we're just hanging out what you guys are doing is hanging out in a religious setting (laughs) yeah i mean definitely you know we we love each other we you know enjoy each other's company um and and we do this thing that we really think helps shape us into um people who can then go out and and help transform the world and hopefully make it a better place. Mm, I love that. I, I have two questions about your uh, priest experience before we move on into the anti-resolutions. Uh, yeah. can, can you tell us, um, let's say, one of the funniest or bizarre experiences you had as a priest mm-hmm. and that you had to do with people? And then one of the, also the, um, you know, more of the emotional or transformational sad yeah, um, things as well. Well, I would have to say probably the, all of my bizarre, funny stories, almost all of them have to do with funerals. <laughs> really? Um, I thought that would be the saddest story. Yeah, no, <laughs> funerals and especially funeral directors. Um, so if you're a clergy person and you're doing a funeral, when you go to the graveside, you tend to ride in the hearse, in the front of the hearse with the funeral director. Um, the hearse, you mean it's, a, it's, it's the car where the boy... So, yeah. Right, the car where the body is, um, and so you're you're riding. You're in the passenger seat, and the funeral director um, generally drives to the. So you're leading kind of the funeral procession, which is a big thing here in um, in the U.S. And the stories that funeral directors will tell you <laughs> while you're in that car are absolutely amazing. Um, I had a funeral director in Texas, of course it was Texas, tell me a story about a time that they, um, they had a fellow in a casket, they were having a viewing, and this kind of cowboy looking dude walked in with his 10 gallon hat and his big old cowboy boots, and he pulled out a six shooter, and he shot the casket six times. What? Turned around and said, just want to make sure he was dead. <laughs> And walked out. So, is this from a movie or it's a real life? No, this, <laughs> this really happened at a funeral home in Texas. Oh um, you God. know, so those kind of just the, you see the complete ridiculousness of life, you know? I mean, wow. I've had and the like, funeral I'm, director is the person who actually arranges the whole thing and you as right. a, you ride together because you, you are responsible for the, um, for the service. Right. Yeah, okay. So, so they're kind of responsible for the body, um, especially here, the, all the litigation and stuff. And whereas I, I do the service, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the, there's all sorts of weird stuff. Like you're about to go in and do a service and somebody comes running out of the women's bathroom and is like, the toilets are overflowing and the bathroom's flooding. And you're like, what am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I, I think folks tend to think my job is probably very serious or actually it's just full of the weirdest things. My, yeah. Cause you're dealing with people day to day. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And what, what, what is, um, so if the funeral is, I guess the funniest experiences you've had, uh, <laughs> is a wedding, is a wedding, the, the saddest experience? That you well, had? <laughs> weddings are probably the most frustrating. I think most clergy would tell you they love doing funerals and they hate doing weddings. Wow. Um, I've had to tell a mother of the bride to please sit down. This is her daughter's wedding and I'm not going to take instruction from her. I'm listening to her daughter. Um, you know, that kind of drama doesn't happen at a funeral. <laughs> um, just, it, it, it just doesn't. Uh, my favorite kind of transformational story though um, was there are, you know, there are still folks who are a little uncomfortable sometimes with a woman priest and, um, I was brand new um, in a parish, and I What's think the parish. Some, sorry, so it's, it's just just the church. That's what Episcopalians call the church. We call it. It's very English to say the parish. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and I was new in that in that community, and was told, "Well, oh, there's this guy at this nursing home who's dying, and his family's all there, and they need you to go out, and there are prayers that I do at the time of death, and." So I drove out. I'd never met any of these people before, and they were all a little unsure and standoffish. And and the fellow who was actually dying was, I mean, he was, um, he was still aware and speaking. And he and I had a had a lovely visit, and we did the prayers. And he died a few days later. And um, when I called his widow to like set up the funeral, um. You know, I do not dress like a traditional priest. I don't wear all black. I'm not super, you know, traditional looking. Um, but I try usually like I'll put on my black heels and I'll put on my black clothes for a funeral. And the widow said to me, oh, no, 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 no. My husband loved. I have these peace heart cowboy boots. Um, they're, they're beautiful. They're cut out. They have a heart with a peace sign in it and wings, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. She said, he loved those boots so much. Would you wear those to do his funeral? <laughs> um, and it was so sweet because it was such a real affirmation um, that I had been accepted as all of me as I was had been accepted as, as their spiritual caretaker. Um, and it was just, it was lovely. And of course I wore them. And now it's a tradition um, that I have to do funerals in those boots that <laughs> the folks in the community totally expect. Um, they love them. Wow. That is such a great story. Thanks for sharing that. And what was, okay. So these are like positive things that what is, what was some of the, one of the hardest um, experiences you had as a priest? Um, I mean, I've had to preach at the funeral of someone I dearly loved, which was, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, but probably the hardest was, um, my current parish is an urban parish. We're downtown. We get a lot of folks coming in um, who have mental health issues, who may be homeless. I mean, it's just, it's a really complicated kind of urban thing. And um, I had a Sunday where I was standing up preaching and this guy wandered in, was shouting and just kind of obviously not, not okay. And he kept wandering around and interrupting. And, um, and I was thinking, what should I do? Uh, I'm just going to ignore it and, and keep going. And I did that and um, finished the service, like keeping my eye on him because, 
you, I mean, these days in the U.S., you really don't know what someone's going to do. And I was really worried he might hurt someone. And, you know, signaled to an usher, just maybe call the police just to let them know he's here. Um, he's not hurting anyone. But, and when um, he eventually wandered off and we, the police officers stopped him and they found five knives on him, like big, long um, weapon sort of knives, not kitchen knives. Um, and so I think for me, the real, the, the place that's hardest is being in that position of like, I'm not in control and yet how do I take care of people and how do I try to keep my own people safe and yet still be welcoming to someone who might really need, you know, some help, some guidance. Um, how do I know if someone has knives on him is not really a question I ever thought I would have to ask myself, but there it is. That's kind of the modern world. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the responsibility you as a, as a leader have, right? And then yeah. have, to, have to kind of take on. And, and, and what do you do? What do you, I guess I know the answer to this question. What do you do when, when you're faced with something that is difficult? Because, you know, you, you're supposed to be this person who everybody looks up to, right? So that's a lot of pressure in itself. Um, but I guess now I'll talk to you a little bit. I guess you're very down to earth and, and, but you still kind of, you know, you're, you're their spiritual leader. So like if you collapse and if, if you let go and just like <laughs> collapse on the floor, they don't have anyone to look up to. And that's a lot yeah, of pressure no. to kind of hold. So what, what do you do to kind of release or in hard times? Um, I think I know the answer. You probably would say that you pray and uh, hold faith. And is there anything like practical or anything that helps you? Well, so I actually, I would say the thing that is most grounding for me is I go daily, I go every day to the barn and spend time with my horse. Oh, the um, one that your husband gave you. Yes, the one my husband gave me. Um, and the thing about horses is they're prey animals. Um, they're incredibly intuitive. They survive off of being able to read each other to a degree that humans, I don't think, can even understand. And so I've had a, had a trainer who said, you cannot lie to a horse. You know, I've um, heard about this. Like I've, I, I had a couple of instances of people who had horses mm -hmm. and the, it, everyone that I talked to that has horses or had experiences with horses and they, they, they talk about it almost as if it's a unicorn of some sort and mm -hmm. there's some sort of a magic or a mystery and, and there's this thing. I'm like, what is that thing about horses? <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so intuitive that I would say the closest you can get to kind of the sci-fi idea of telepathy, of being able to read someone's mind is a horse. Um, through a leather saddle, my horse can hear me think a gait change. Like I want her to go from a walk to a trot or a trot to a canter. The, the minute things that me thinking about a canter does to the muscles in my body, she can actually feel that. Um, and so if I'm tense or if I'm anxious or I'm scared or I'm sad or whatever it is, she can feel those things just when I'm around her and not even having to be on her. And so it has really been an important spiritual practice for me to A, watch her, and she's a barometer to what's going on inside me, even if I'm not aware of it. Um, and then to learn to be able to center myself and get back to that kind of calm 
place that she needs me to have as as her leader, um, you know, as a prey, as a herd animal. She needs me to be her leader, and so that has been an incredible. Uh, I would call spiritual practice and experience for me um, because it's, you know, you can't, you can't lie. You can't, you can't pretend <laughs> your way through stuff with the horse, which you can kind of with people um, fake, it to fake just, it sort of thing. I, I just put on my bucket list. I just wrote down buy a horse. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting, you know, cause dogs and cats and all the pets are one thing, but I think, that, that there's something magical and mystical about about this animal that everybody keeps talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow, that that's really interesting. Um, okay, Joe, we <laughs> we gotta get to the actual subject of this interview after an hour um, talking already. But like, it, this is such an interesting conversation. And to be honest with you, like, I woke up today and it was really early, and I was like, who is Josephine Robert? Robert. <laughs> Who is, because we booked this interview a while ago. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, I went to your like social medias and checking me out and, and I saw that like your, your number of following is not that big and everything. And I did a bit of research. I'm like, who is Josephine Robertson? You know, there's not much out there when I Google her and I'm like, how is this going to be? And then, you know, all the while you're talking and telling all these stories, I'm, I'm just feeling, you know, like honored to have you have these conversations, but I feel more honored to bring these stories of women, you know, who don't have thousands of followers on Instagram and, and Facebook and whatever, and probably the most amazing women, uh, well, we're all amazing, but you know what I mean? Don't have a following at all. They're just living their lives and yeah. having their stories of like what you just told me. And it's just incredible. You know, I'm, I'm having a, a much better time with you with how many, like 160 Instagram followers than I've had with someone who has 10,000 followers <laughs> on Instagram, you know? It's just been, it's, it's an incredible conversation. So I want to thank you for that. But Joe, we, we still get to talk a little bit about anti-resolutions for the new Definitely. year. Although this might be not the most exciting subject, but it's still exciting. Like I, I feel like you have a perspective that so many of us don't have, you being a priest and just like, you know, I, I guess, I guess you like a coach, you know, everybody's a coach these yeah. days, but you've been actually studying theology and you've, you've actually day, day in, day out, you're dealing with life in a way that a coach doesn't deal with, like what, what you just told me. And so I think that you have a really interesting perspective towards it. So uh, let's talk about that. I know you've written an article uh, where mm-hmm. you talk about okay, it's time to do anti-resolutions for the new year. So for everyone listening, and maybe they've planned their year, maybe they haven't yet, and they're just about to embark on, you know, the 2018 is coming. For everyone listening who's not in the new year, uh, is not like, you know, in the end of the year, beginning of the year, tell us what is your whole philosophy of resolutions and why do you feel that they're wrong and what is the anti-resolution and how you move towards that? Yeah. Well, so this fall, I, you know, there were all these things that I had, I had made all these plans for 2017, right? I was going to do yoga every day. I was going to get myself down to a certain weight. I was going to be able to run a mile in this amount of time. I was going to have read all these books. I mean, all of these things that I think are probably pretty familiar to, um, to many women. And I, don't think I had accomplished any of them. (laughs) 
And I, and I sat down and I thought, what is it? Because this happens every year. Every year you say, I'm going to do this. And for most of us, by the time January or maybe February is over, we're completely off the rails. And we've probably even forgot that we set that goal or resolution. And what I discovered, um, at least for me and for the people I talked to, when we set a resolution, we almost always start from a negative space. So I think, oh, I've got all of these, all this extra pounds on me that I don't, you know, I need to get rid of that. I've just let myself go. Or I think, oh, wow, I don't know nearly enough about X, Y, or Z. You know, I, I'm, I'm not an expert at that, so I have to learn more. Whatever it is, I, you know, I don't eat, eat enough vegetables. My mother's been complaining about that my whole life. I don't eat enough vegetables, so I have to have a certain number of vegetables every meal, right? And so we start from a place that's negative, where there's guilt. There's some kind of guilt there. And when that doesn't get transformed instantly, which it's never going to, like you're, we're never going to fix something we feel guilty about instantly or even within a week or two. I mean, it takes, takes weeks to set a new, uh, a new habit and really get it in there. And that's if you don't ever miss anything. So we start from a place of guilt. Then we have, you know, we, we maybe start well, but then we miss a day or we do this and we feel guilty about that. And so that compounds the guilt. And the next thing you know, as essentially a self-protection thing, if you miss one day, your brain is basically like, whoop, that's out of our, we're just, we're just moving on. We're not even going there anymore. Um, and so I sat down and I said, could I come up with a way instead of starting from lack or from a negative space, could I create a tool for myself that helped me bring more positive things into my life? Um, what would that look like? And so I, I am a planner geek. I love planning. Um, I have multiple planners always, and I love writing things out by hand. And by so the way, I, just to quickly interrupt you, I know that you are, um, I saw on your Instagram, you're doing the Slay Your Goals uh, planner yeah. that, was, that was designed by Natalie Bardot. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm actually interviewing her tomorrow. So she's, oh, part, she's part of the series as well. And we're going to be, um, you know, promoting her planner as well that you're using. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's really funny timing. I have a review of her planner going up tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Um, okay. And, and she is wonderful. She was so great at supporting me when I had questions about it. Um, and I think her planner also comes from kind of this positive place. So I sat down, I like to kind of plan out uh, my month. And then each week, I like to plan out my week. And then each day, I like to kind of look at it and see what do I need to do today. So I created three sections on a piece of paper. And I labeled one month and one week and one day. And I said, okay, in order for me to have a good month, what, what do I need to make room for? And so, and then, and same thing for week and the same thing for day. And I created a list and I played with it and I tried it out. 
and I edited the list and, you know, kept trying it out. And what I've eventually gotten to um, is something that essentially asks, say, at the beginning of a month, to look at the month coming up and say, where in this month can I connect with people I love? Um, where in this month can I have a new adventure that will expand, you know, expand my experience to something I've never, never done before? Where in this month can I take care of my body? Um, in my week list, for me, I've got on there um, to make space for some kind of exercise I love has to be something I enjoy at least three times during that week. So instead of me saying, I must do, and like, I hate running. I absolutely hate running. Um, and my riding coach really wants me to run. And I said, no, nope, you know what? I'm not going to run. Instead, I love yoga. Yoga for me is, it's the only way I can turn my brain off. I just, I love yoga. So I'm going to, one of my planner items is this week, I have to make room for three sessions of yoga sometime in the week. Um, one of the things I have down on my month that I added, I think in the second or third iteration of this was, I have permission this month to cancel one event so I can do blank. Um, and then I could fill in whatever I want in that blank. And each month it can be different. Well, for the last three months, it's been... I can cancel one event this month so I can stay home and read a book in front of the fire. And that has been so liberating to yeah, give that, that's myself really cool. that permission. Yeah, that's really cool because you're not like, oh, how do I try to fit everything? But you're going like, what can I cancel this month in order to yeah. make room for what I love? <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. So let me just, uh, let me summarize, Joe. So what you're saying is, a lot of our resolutions are, are based on guilt. So we're, we're kind of sitting down and saying, okay, okay, okay. So we're looking, we're reviewing our year or, or, or we're sitting there and say, okay, what doesn't work in my life right now? So that's the first question we're usually asking ourselves. Okay, what mm -hmm. doesn't work is I need to be more productive. I need to be waking up in the morning. I need to be doing this yeah. and this. Okay, so let me set goals. I want to do that instead next year. And then we set up the goals. But it all, it all comes from a negative place in the sense of, what is not working mm -hmm. and then coming from a place of guilt. And that's how we set it up, but it doesn't work because when you come from a place of guilt, uh, there is some sort of a resistance to it. So mm -hmm. you keep working where, I mean, we're doing the same thing, right? But it, doing the same thing, expecting different result, obviously is like the definition of insanity. Yeah. So instead yep. what you're saying is that what should we, should we, how do we go about setting these goals first? And I love the technique and the, the, the checklist that you have, and you're actually giving it away for free. And then we're going to talk about it in a second. But how do we go from a place of, you know, lack and um, guilt and something negative? What, how do we flip it around and what do we switch to instead? Yeah, exactly. So, but how do we do it? That's my question. <laughs> well, I, so I, I think the way we do it is we, instead of looking at the lack, I think the question we ask ourselves is what brings me joy? Um, and, and by that, I don't mean happiness. I mean, joy the way um, the Dalai Lama describes it, that joy is 
Joy is actually magnified by doing things that make other people happy, by doing things that spread light and goodness. Um, and that includes spreading that to ourselves. So like, what are the things that bring me joy? And so if I ask that question, I say, well, my horse brings me joy and spending time with my husband and doing yoga and uh, having an unhurried evening to just read a really good book. Like those are the things that bring me joy. So if I prioritize in my life joy, then that completely changes how I say fill in my planner. Instead of filling in my planner saying, my goal is, you know, X, Y, or Z, um, you know, money thing or some number about my weight or, you know, how quickly I can run a marathon, um, which will never happen, by the way. <laughs> There's, there isn't that emotional um, thing you look forward to, right? Like you think yeah. about Christmas. We all look forward to Christmas because there is this moment of joy. And for me, half of the joy is seeing my husband's face when he opens that perfect present I found for him. And he's so excited. Um, so there's got to be, there has to be that joy. The thing we're working towards has to be joyful. Um, yeah. So, so, I, so you're excited to actually implement it. Exactly. And that, that means you're going to want to come back. And I actually had an experience this last week was super chaotic. I wasn't kind of in my normal space where I normally plan out my week on Sunday. Um, everything was kind of upside down. And so I didn't use my tool hmm. on Sunday. I didn't plan my week ahead of time. I've just been kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And I have had, quite frankly, the most stressful and grumpy week <laughs> in a really long time. And I realized this morning while I was prepping um, to talk to you, I thought, oh shit, I never, I didn't, I didn't actually prioritize my week based on what would bring me joy. I just filled up my calendar with a whole bunch of meetings and tasks and all that kind of stuff. No wonder I've been grumpy and unhappy. Like I haven't gotten to yoga in seven days now. <laughs> so the and, and our lives will do that. They will just fill up if we don't intentionally make time, set aside time for things that are joyful, that we look forward to. And what I'm discovering is it means I'm setting really different goals mm. than I normally would set. Um, I'm not setting the kind of traditional resolution goals that I used to set. Um, Instead, I'm concentrating, but I think I'm actually getting to the same place. You know, I, my body's getting stronger. I'm, I, we're, we're, my husband and I have discovered we love cooking together. So one of the things on my, on my list that, um, that I add on to mine is for us to plan out meals so that we can cook together six nights a week. And that's like our date in the evening as we cook and we chat and we listen to music. And we're eating healthier because we're cooking instead of going out. And so it's like we're getting to the same place of me, you know, slimming down and getting more fit. And, but I'm coming at it in the opposite direction. And so it's actually yeah, happening. I, I th and you know what? I think, I think it's so important for women, especially. I'm not saying, and you know, we don't, I don't want to generalize that it's not important for men. But there is this thing with women when we are full. 
and mm-hmm. there is joy because I, you know, I'm, I'm actually studying right now, like the Vedic um, traditions and then like the Vedic knowledge of, you know, masculinity, femininity and everything. I was listening to this guy where he says, you know, a strong woman is a mm-hmm. happy woman. And it's, it flips it around what we perceive as strength, especially in the Western world, right? And yeah. who is a happy woman? A happy woman is fulfilled and she's joyful. Yeah. She's yeah. not one that is running, a, you know, a 1,000 employee company because that's a lot of stress. I mean, that can be, I don't know, I guess that can be joyful at some point. <laughs> there, yeah, but, there might be someone that that's their calling. That's what just like gets them going. Yeah, it gets them on fire. But but I think for most of us, that's not what makes us joyful. Those kind of regular um, measures of success aren't really what makes us joyful. Yeah. So for a lot of us women, and I'm, you know, this is part of my own transformation is, you know, what? some of the things that actually makes me the most joyful is sometimes doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yoga, uh, especially doing nothing, being around nature, being around people, being around children. I'm not a mother mm-hmm. yet. Uh, doing something that I truly love. Like I started doing this Zen art thing where I'm just following instructions and drawing without a purpose and yeah. with no result. And I just sit there. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. Cause there's no, there's no point to it. And that is so exciting. And so I think what you're saying is, is great because if we come from a place of what is going to bring me joy in the next year, of course we have this masculine side that we want to achieve things and so on and so on. But there's yeah. something to be said about setting these things where it's not necessarily about a number, right? Or, right. but you come from a place, what would make me truly happy and joyful? Because if you, if you really think about it, you know, all of our monetary goals, you know, like I want to monetize girl skill and all of that stuff. Really the purpose of all of that, that we want to do in life or like achieve success or whatever that means for us is truly to feel happy and mm-hmm. to feel joyful in our house, in our car, in the fact that we can contribute to society and all. So that's the whole point. But the things that a lot of us think that we need to do certain things day in and day out or like hustle, 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 go, go, go in order to achieve that. And then we're going to feel joy, which is like, so we can do that today and we can do that every day while working towards some sort of a number. So Joe, you've. um, So you've put up together this checklist. So basically you bring up these goals. So you think it from a place of joy, what would really make me happy if it happens next, next year, let's say 2018. And so you have this checklist that everybody can print out and you actually recommend to laminate it <laughs> or like put it on a dry erase board. Yeah. And it's a checklist really for, so you see, okay, this month I need to do these things and then this week and then daily, here's my daily checklist. And so it helps you kind of stay on track. And it, mm-hmm. it, what you say, it reminds you that every single day you are on track based on what brings you joy. And then you cancel that meeting or, you know, you cancel that thing that, that is not aligned to that. And instead you're doing something that you feel joy. So Joe, tell us where, 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 do, where can people actually go and download it uh, or like sign up to get it? Do you have a link? I do. So um, I believe the link will be in the show notes for this podcast because I'll be yes. giving it to you. Um, yeah. But also, if they go to crazywholelife.com, um, then over in the sidebar, there will be just a little a graphic um, for the Balance for Life 
tool. And if you click on that, that will take you to a page where you can get it as well. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. So, uh, Joe, I love that. I love our conversation, everything. <laughs> we can talk for hours, but it's time to get um, to the tools and resources so we can li- let the listeners go. And I'm super excited about this, this part, actually, because I'm um, you know, very curious what you've got to share with us. It's time for tools and resources on Girl Skill. So do you have some sort of a morning routine? that um, you use to to be productive, fulfilled, and to have joy in your life? So I have have been developing one, and I didn't even realize I was developing it until um, I started doing research for a project I'm doing next year on slow living. Um, But essentially, my morning routine has become to listen to my body and wake up when my body is ready to wake up. Um, and that's usually around 7 to 7.30 in the morning is when my body just naturally wakes up. Um, and then I spend some time in bed with the adorable cat who was photobombing us earlier. Um, <laughs> just, kind of, just kind of enjoying and waking up slowly and, you know, looking at the light outside the window, um, kind of getting my head around what I'm doing that day, uh, what kind of what's on my plate for that day. Um, and then I am, uh, I am a real creature of routine. So I'm up and it's always like shower and dress and, um, coffee and makeup because feeling, feeling put together, um, is important to me. And I love expressing myself and kind of like my mood through makeup. Um, so that, that definitely happens. Um, and then breakfast and then it's, it's off to whatever, whatever has to happen that day. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's become a very comfortable kind of routine. And, and I like that it's a little bit slow um, in the morning because it sets kind of the, it's a good reminder for me of that the rest of the day, it's not about cramming as much into it as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah. Slow, slow, you know, slow is the new hustle. Oh my God. I need to eliminate this somewhere. Slow is the new hustle. Okay, awesome. Um, can you share with us some apps or say softwares that yeah. are productive and fulfilled and joyful? So my absolutely favorite app that I don't think I could function without is one called Scrivener. Um, I actually bought my first Mac computer just to run Scrivener because the, back then oh it only ran on Mac. Um, it's writing software. Um, so if you are someone who is doing really complicated writing projects, a dissertation, a book, uh, the, you know, the many posts that I do for my website, Scrivener is incredible at organizing that and just making it really simple to get big, huge projects done. So that is my absolute um, number one favorite um, tool that I would recommend. Um, my second one is Lightroom. Uh, one of my big spiritual practices is actually photography. That is decidedly my art form. Um, and Lightroom is my dark room in this digital age uh, since I don't have a, a real dark room anymore. So I love Lightroom. So Lightroom my, is, like a, is like a mini Photoshop version, right? It's yeah. a light, light Photoshop version. What is the main difference though? Like who, who can use it and who so, should use it? So 
Photoshop is really if you're trying to do detailed manipulation, like you want to take out an ugly trash can in the back of a wedding photo kind of thing. Um, and you have to be able to deal with layers and masks and it's super complicated. Lightroom is actually an equally powerful tool, but it's meant for really different things. So Lightroom is meant for the kinds of things that you used to do in a dark room, ironically. Um, so, you know, if your picture has uh, areas that are too dark, you can lighten those up. If you're, um, you need to kind of crop some stuff, you need to change the, you know, aspect ratio of the, of the image, all the kind of, you know, lightening and darkening and sharpening and, um, these days, Lightroom can even take, say, like a power line out of your image. It's amazing what uh, the computer can do these days. It's, mm. it's so really it's basically powerful. like all of these apps, you know, like well, Insta, like uh, all of these, like yeah. filter, uh, yes. Snapseed, but, uh, but taking to the next level where it's, it's actually a software that you can yeah. play around with different. And, it's a little bit more advanced. Yeah, and the thing I like about Lightroom is all of the controls are these little sliding controls. So it's really easy to kind of adjust on the fly and see it change. Um, it's not, it's just, so you can just play with it and end up with a result. Um, it's, so it's easy to learn. You can learn it really quickly. Um, you could get really complicated with it, um, but you can, you can be editing photos and having fun with it re right away. Because okay. um, it's very intuitive. Love it. And then my third app would be anything from Google. <laughs> um, I kind of live in, you know, Google's inbox and calendar and Google Drive. And Does your husband still work at Google? He does. He does. He works. He still works at Google. Um, mm -hmm. But I was, I was beta testing Google products um, way back. Oh, my in, God. That's like, awesome. 2000, like before I met him. Um, so... I guess it wasn't 2000. It would have been later than that. But like when Gmail was in beta, I had one of the first e Gmail addresses. Um, so I have been a, a Google junkie for a long time. And it just, it, it makes life so easy that everything is in the cloud. And so I can just go anywhere, log in with my account, and I have everything, um, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Okay. Uh, are there any people uh, you follow or blogs or inspirational websites that kind of keep you... You know, inspired, yeah. fulfilled. So uh, when I, I went through this list and I realized that the ones that I really loved and really wanted to share were basically the women who are unapologetically themselves. Um, <laughs> so my two absolute favorites are Jenny Lawson and um, Geraldine DeRuder. Um, so Jenny Lawson runs the Blogus, and she writes about mental health and joy and silliness, and it's just it's wonderful. Um, and the and Geraldine writes the Everywhereist, which is kind of sort of a travel blog, but also more than a travel blog. Um, <laughs> you really kind of would have to read it to get it. Um, yeah, I'm Googling them right now. <laughs> and yeah. you know, both, both of them are just, they're themselves. And they have this very much take me or leave me kind of attitude um, that I love. And, uh, and, and I think I'm trying to cultivate in myself. So yeah, those, those were the folks who so I kind of read all the time. Geraldine DeRuter has the mm -hmm. everywhereist. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Awesome. Yep. 
We're going to link to all of this stuff in the show notes. Um, so all the listeners, you can get all of this. I'm definitely going to subscribe because I think that's, that's who I am. That's who I want to be more of. Um, so I'm just, this is my like 2018 resolution, I, anti-resolution, because <laughs> that's what brings me joy to really share who yeah. I am, but also be interested in people who are drawn to that so we can have... So we can have a faceful conversation online, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. faceless like we talked about. It's really, these are real people and I want to get to know them, get to know their stories and share mine in the process. Um, cool. Okay. So let's talk about some of the books that you recommend. I know that you've uh, already talked about Brene Brown's latest mm-hmm. book. Which I haven't read, but I've read all of her previous books. What is it? What's What's the name of her latest book? I think the new one is called Braving the Wilderness. Oh, that's right. Yeah, everybody talks about it. So I yeah. definitely yeah. need to read it. <laughs> um, so I, I love anything by, by Brene. Um, the most recent kind of spiritual book that I've read uh, is by the um, Dalai Lama. It's a joint book by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa. Mm-hmm. And it is a romp. It's wonderful. The two of them are so obviously such good friends, and they spend the whole book. It's a transcription of a a kind of meeting that they had talking about joy and happiness um, and suffering. And they spend the whole time teasing each other and cracking Mm. each other up. And it is just the most joyful book to read. And I came away from it feeling so hopeful about the world um, that I just absolutely loved that one. Um, And then my favorite author right now, and these are totally... They're kind of totally fun, but I think there's some deeper meaning in them as well. Um, It's by, the author's name is N.K. Jemisin, and she's got a number of series. They're all sort of sci-fi slash fantasy. Um, They're definitely set in fantastical worlds, Um, but The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms is one of her trilogies, and The Broken Earth is another one. And she... She, first of all, she just builds fantastic worlds and incredible characters who are so complicated that you, like, you're rooting for okay. them. But at the same time, I'm you're like, literally going to buy a book oh. right now because I've been I've been looking for a really good fiction, and a lot of oh, the times I can't. Yeah. So okay. Awesome. N. K. Yeah. Jameson. N. K. Yeah. J. E. M. I. S. I. N. Um, and the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms is what I started with. It's you can get it like on Kindle, all three books in the series in one um, for a really good price. And I just fell in love with it. And you can read it as just good fun, but you know, being the kind of liturgy slash um, literature geek that I am, I of course was reading it and going, "Oh my gosh, she's she's got such." such great stuff here about society and religion and theology. And mm-hmm. um, so you can also certainly read it as, as a, kind of a commentary on uh, our world and maybe what our world could be. And, you know, what is kind of, uh, what are our, what is freedom of choice and what is evil? And um, so those are just fascinating all of, all of her stuff is fascinating. Yeah, I'm just looking at, she has a lot of different things, like like you said, Broken Kingdoms. And one of her highest rated on Amazon is The Fifth Season. Yes. Um, fifth season. That's her most recent book. 
which um, is the culmination of her most recent trilogy. Um, so it would definitely not be the place to start, right. but it was, it was incredible. I think I read it in two sittings because I just <gasps> couldn't put it down. Oh, yeah, I see. Okay, so the first one is the 100,000 Kingdoms Inheritance Trilogy, book one. The second one is, yes. is the Broken Kingdoms, book two. And then yep. book three is somewhere in between. Oh, yeah, the Kingdom yeah. of Gods. All right, I'm going to buy one right now. Thanks so much, uh, <laughs> Jill. That's three. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm really into fiction, and I like some of my favorite fiction books are, um, oh, man, the, of course, the what's her Jennifer Lawrence. Um, oh yeah, Divergent. No, yep. not Divergent. What's what's the? Oh my God, I now completely blanked out. But you know what I mean, like the yeah. of Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Awesome. So, uh, Joe, thanks so much. Uh, I have one last question, which okay. is, what, what would you like to be written on your tombstone? Oh my goodness! I don't want a tombstone. I want to be scattered in the ocean. Um, but <laughs> if I had a tombstone, uh, I think I would probably put on it just to confuse people. What the sign we have in our kitchen that says "Pie fixes everything." <laughs> I love it. I love that it come, this comes from a priest as well. <laughs> you know, that's, that's amazing. Um, Joe, this, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I really, really appreciate, uh, you know, your wisdom, your knowledge, um, your sense of humor, uh, your down-to-earth approach to religion, to spirituality, to pretty much everything in life. And thank you for all your stories and all the work you do, actually, because I think, I mean, it, for me, it doesn't really matter as long as we... I mean, it doesn't really matter whether it's religious context or not, as long as we, our main intention is to uplift each other and create a better world where we are full of joy um, and there's no need for, you know, everything uh, around anger and hatred because that's not what makes us better humans. Um, yeah. So I want to thank you so much. And for everyone listening who wants to know more uh, about your writing and everything you have to offer us, uh, tell us uh, where can we find you. So you can find me at crazyholelife.com and I am also crazyholelife at just about every social media platform you can think of. So Instagram, <laughs> Pinterest, Twitter, uh, Facebook as well. So, and thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute delight. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a lot. All right. So that's it for this Girl Skill episode podcast with Josephine Robertson. If you enjoyed it and took some valuable lessons from it, which I know you did because it's been an amazing episode. It's so good. I'd like to ask you to give back and charge your karmic energy by sharing this episode with a girlfriend who is into spirituality or and religion and finds the subjects um, fascinating. Or maybe she's looking for her path and needs some guidance in setting up some resolutions that come from a place of gentleness and love. And I also think that everyone should listen to this episode because uh, it's truly amazing. Joe has been such an inspiration for me. I've actually been thinking, mm, maybe she can become my spirituality leader or religious leader. <laughs> so that was amazing. Uh, so please, please share from uh, your podcasting app or simply send her to girlskill.com slash 27. It's episode 27, girlskill.com slash 27. And if you haven't managed to take note of all the amazing tools and resources Joe has shared with us, no worries. You can 
find all the links and descriptions that will take you directly to Curlskill to those uh, resources. You can find them again at curlskill.com slash 27. All right. Have an amazing uh, week running with the wolves and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Girlskill. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher to never miss an episode. And never forget that your version of success is uniquely yours to live and experience. Until next time, let's continue redefining female success together. Girlskill.com. Female success redefined.